Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the Institute for Public Administration. My name is Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute, which is a research and public service center in the University of Delaware's Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. Thanks for tuning in today. On today's episode, we're joined by three guests who all happen to be colleagues of mine at the Biden School. We have Dr. Stephen Metro, who is the director of the Center for Community Research and Service, or CCRS for short, Mimi Rail, a PhD candidate at CCRS, and Julie O'Hanlon, who is a colleague of mine at IPA. Our conversation today largely focuses around the topic of affordable housing in Delaware, as well as the potential crisis we face around evictions as a result of the economic fallout we're experiencing from the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you enjoy our discussion today. So thanks for joining everybody today. We've done a lot of these meetings this year together, so this would be one of the easier podcasts for us to do. So having said that, um, Steve, I wanted to see if you could just start out by telling the listeners a little bit more about CCRS. Sure. Happy to talk about CCRS. CCRS stands for Center for Community Research and Service. Been around, we're coming up on our 50th anniversary. We were launched in 1972, where we were the Urban Agent Program. This is back in, um, you know, early 70s. Um, concept of urban crisis was kind of taking off. It was, you know, we started in Wilmington, kind of right in the wake of the riots, and looking at urban problems and making them better, or just kind of looking at solutions to them. And that's really kind of the root of where we come from. What I like to say um, is that CCRS, Center for Community Research and Service, it's kind of a boring name, but it's a very apt name in that we have programs that are kind of both heavy in the research and, um, and in the service. We also have very involved kind of directly in the community. Give an overview real quickly. We have um, on the research side, and that's kind of more of my orientation, we have a program that works in cooperation with the state. And um, this is the division of Medicaid and medical assistance. We um, get Medicaid data from them regularly updated. And we kind of do projects looking into um, public health, into health services research, social determinants of health using Medicaid data and, um, and looking at a lot of um, you know, issues in Delaware specific to that. Um, my background is housing and homelessness, so we've kind of got various studies at any given time that looks specifically at homelessness, eviction, and other housing issues kind of on the lower income end of housing. And again, we have projects nationwide, but our primary focus is in Delaware. And then also services programs, we have Public Allies, which is the um, AmeriCorps program that's in Delaware. And Public Allies just celebrated their 25th anniversary. We have Kids Count, which we support along with the Annie Casey Foundation. And that's a clearinghouse for child and child welfare related statistics uh, related to Delaware. And so we kind of disseminate information through there and through that also get involved with a lot of children-related policy issues. We've been involved with Blueprint Communities, which is um, where we'll work with uh, different neighborhood neighborhood and community development organizations in different neighborhoods across Delaware and particularly in Wilmington, and uh, also do work 
with nonprofits. Um, and kind of in a nutshell, that's the range of the work that we do at CCRS um, mm-hmm. and focused on Delaware, but also um, also going beyond those borders as well. Great. And that's, um, that's good to give some context as to why we're focused on this topic with you. I guess to start, I wanted to hear a little bit, hear each of you talk a little bit about yourselves, your backgrounds, personal background, professional background, and your interest in housing. So Steve, if you want to take it from there. So this is the, um, starting my third year as director at CCRS here in, in Delaware. Before that, um, I was in Philadelphia. I was working with the um, Veterans Administration, also a program director for a health policy program at University of the Sciences in Philadelphia. And just kind of have a long career doing uh, research in housing and homelessness. Um, Particularly, I do a lot of work with cities and nonprofits and kind of using, in a nutshell, kind of using their data to look at how different populations use their services and also how people, in particular people who have experienced homelessness, use services across different systems, the criminal justice system, mental health system, public welfare system, just and those dynamics. And in a nutshell, just working with these agencies in providing services more effectively and also more efficiently, just kind of looking at, I mean, if if someone is experiencing homelessness, they're going to get assistance where they can get it. And so kind of getting different systems, which are traditionally siloed to kind of see how people use use services across systems and how serve systems can collaborate to better provide services. That's been, you know, that's kind of been the research that I take took with me into Delaware and I'm continuing here again, working a lot with um, Medicaid with um, local homeless services providers uh, and other kind of housing issues. And now that COVID's hit, looking at how COVID impacts those services and to how we can respond to really address not only the crisis, the public health crisis brought on by COVID and risk of infection, but also this, the um, substantial economic impact that for a lot of people have made their housing situations even worse and kind of how, how to assist that and prevent um what may be a bad housing situation from becoming a crisis such as an eviction or homelessness. Great. And Mimi, you want to take it from there? I've been working in housing and housing related areas almost my entire professional career. Uh, That's included both directly in terms of housing development and also in planning and policy related to housing. I, I have a master's in regional planning and that has been I've applied that to look at housing and community development issues. Housing for me has always been a priority since the early days of my working career. This whole idea of having a roof over your head where you're secure and you have the opportunity to grow from has pretty much guided all the work that I've done since the early 80s. I spent a long time working for a large home building company out in California. We did subdivisions and we did master plan communities, but we also had an affordable housing component to our work. We did farm worker housing in the Imperial Valley, mortgage revenue bonds for affordable housing for first-time buyers and apartments with units that were set aside for low-income households. I've spent the last 10 years working in housing development as a project manager, development project manager, particularly using the low-income housing tax credits to create new housing or to acquire and rehab and, and 
sustain as affordable housing, uh, housing specifically targeted to those at the lower lower end of the income range. That included the housing tax credit programs and also the neighborhood stabilization programs. And that's been throughout the Midwest and in other states. And that is actually what brought me to Delaware about five years ago, working in that housing development field specifically for affordable housing development. It's just, it's been the most important thing to me since the early days of my working career, as I said. About four years ago, I came back to graduate school. I'm a doctoral student in urban affairs and public policy at the Biden School. And particularly excited to be working for CCRS as part of this work and focusing on how to create and sustain housing that is accessible and affordable to those at the extremely low income and how to stabilize households and communities through housing and housing maintenance, housing sustainability. Your passion for this topic always comes through great, Mimi. I, I always love uh, talking to you about it because you're so enthusiastic about it. And, you know, I think that's been a real driving force for us this year as we've had these conversations. Julia? Sure, thank you. Um, so uh, I am uh, one of your colleagues uh, at IPA. As you know, I'm a policy scientist um, with a, a background in political science and, and public policy. I earned my master's in public administration at the University of Delaware back in the early 2000s and had a specialization in state and local management and have been with IPA since then as a, as a full-time staff member. Um, I'm currently in, enrolled in a gerontological certificate program also at Portland State University. So that's been a really interesting kind of uh, bringing, bringing gerontology and social gerontology with my public, public policy background together. Interestingly enough, maybe a lot of people don't know this, um, I actually um, wanted to go to law school and started down that path pretty seriously. And Fortunately, for me at least, quickly shifted into more of a public administration and public policy focus. And I, I think overall that's been a better fit for my skill set and interests. Um, so, with that, a lot of my work at IPA has really focused on assisting um, state agencies and local governments here in Delaware, doing uh, work related to um, a variety of different things, but um, most recently, um, policies impacting older adults. And that includes mobility and transportation, um, access to community and health resources and services and, and other um, areas. So I'd say a lot of my, my interests and research so far in housing, I'm learning a lot um, by working with, with Steve and Mimi and you, Sean, that's for sure. But a lot of my interest in housing and housing policy has really been based on that work. I really see housing through a healthy communities lens. Um, both in terms of individual health and the overall health of our communities. Um, and that certainly uh, includes the type of affordable, accessible, and appropriate housing options that we have for people of all abilities and ages and circumstances. And it, and it also you know, involves you know, how we build and design our communities. You know, are they allowing for a variety of housing options depending on people's specific and evolving needs over time? And also, are they safe, walkable? Do they have a close proximity to transit options, parks, and community health resources? So I've been shifting a lot more too with my work on aging in place. And I can talk a little bit more about that later. And that certainly has a role in 
um, the housing space. And that's something I look forward to maybe doing more with um, our local governments um, and state agencies on here. So thanks for having me part of this conversation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And just to build off what I was saying about Mimi, you're also very, very passionate, enthusiastic, um, particularly about, you know, aging, aging in place. And, um, you know, that's, that's especially an issue, I think, in Southern Delaware, which is where you're from, from uh, originally from Millsboro. That's right. Um, so, so it's good to kind of have that um, background as well and have that understanding and, and perspective. So yeah, I definitely yep. appreciate you, uh, all your work on this. So, you know, going back to you, uh, Mimi, um, so we've had a lot of conversations and done, you know, a good deal of research, particularly you and Steve, um, on a variety of topics related to housing insecurity in Delaware this year. What are some of the things that you've learned uh, that stand out the most to you that you, maybe you didn't know before 2020 as it relates to housing insecurity in Delaware? Two things I'll start with, and, and the first is pretty broad. There, What's been fascinating for me and really powerful for me in our conversations with people both in Northern Delaware and Southern Delaware is the passion and commitment among the folks that we have been talking to across the state for seeing insecurity as an issue, for starting to work or, or actively engaged already and working to address it and wanting to stabilize housing for the people who are at risk and stabilize housing for the communities that they're in. That, I mean, that passion has been across all of our conversations, whether it was the public sector conversations or those in the nonprofit sector. Uh, it's come through for me very strongly in every single call we've had so far about this. The second is that I, I feel and see the bones of infrastructure to address housing needs in this state. We see the commitment and creativity on the part of a couple of state agencies, I'd say, with DSHA as not only the housing finance agency, but also the community development agency for the state, as well as a housing authority. But th those two. Uh, in particular, I think really give them a, a platform to work from. The Office of State Planning Coordination is also really engaged and interested in how to help communities address a range of issues with this as a piece of it. We have three CDFIs in our state that really cover the entirety of the state. We have a nonprofit uh, housing tax credit syndicator that does other functions as well, but is also looking, say, systematically at some of these issues and, and, and a number of other players. We have the bones for some really strategic collaborations, I think, to start to develop perhaps a more comprehensive housing policy, both to address this immediate and upcoming crisis that we are seeing, we believe, in terms of an upcoming wave of evictions, or at least a possibility for that, and to develop more systematic housing policy and process for the state to help people become and remain more stable in their homes. Julia, what, what about your thoughts on that? What's kind of stood out most to you this year? Yeah, a couple things, Sean. I guess one is that, you know, again, we've worked, IPA has worked in so many different housing, or excuse me, public policy related areas and then housing is sort of a is sort of bringing together some of these areas that we've worked in even though it hasn't been as explicitly on how directly on housing and so i think just that just learning so about 
so much how housing is connected to other other things we do and other public policy areas that are both of our centers addressed. And I think that's why it's so good that the four of us have been joining forces and working on on all these issues, um, particularly uh, over the past four to five months as we've seen things shift with the pandemic and the public health emergency. I will certainly reiterate what Mimi said. I think there's so many good things happening um, here in this state, you know, opportunities, initiatives at the state, local, and community-based level. I, I do think, too, there are still a lot of challenges in terms of sort of linking up these resources. And again, to Mimi's point, I mean, the level of commitment that we've seen among the organizations that we've you know, connected with and spoken with over the past uh, five months or so, longer than that, I guess now, is really impressive. And so there's a lot of challenges I think Delaware faces, particularly now because of the COVID situation, um, having exacerbated many of the housing security issues that we face in terms of equity, affordability, and you know, displacement issues. But I do think that there is a, a long-term um, opportunity to address more comprehensively and from a systems-based approach, like Mimi mentioned. Um, so I think those are some of the things that my, my biggest takeaways in working with you all most recently. Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I kind of echo a lot of what Mimi and Julia have said in terms of, so we've been kind of the four of us have been meeting with various people first we'd kind of take to the road and more recently it's been more over zoom um with various people and agencies involved with housing and housing related areas in delaware and for me who i still very much consider myself a relative newcomer to delaware this has been really helpful in terms of kind of seeing the different pieces of the housing dynamics here in in delaware and you know we kind of which organizations do what and um, and which people are involved where, which I think is advantageous in that we as academics can kind of step back and see the bigger picture where a lot of times the people we talk to are much more, you know, on the front lines, kind of, they know everybody, but they don't have kind of a, a 40,000 foot view, which we are getting. And so I think from that, I'll answer, I'll kind of add my piece to, to answering this question, Sean, is that, you know, there's a lot of people doing really interesting, really important, really necessary work. And a lot of times, though, the, the coordination of the different pieces is something that doesn't have much attention paid. So whether or not it's looking at particular issues statewide or looking at an issue like homelessness, which I'm more, which I'm most familiar with, which has a lot of different facets and those different facets could, you know, could, could kind of benefit from having more of an awareness of what the other pieces are doing and how kind of working together can kind of make for a more effective approach. And I think ultimately, as we go forward, kind of as this collaboration between CCRS and IPA, that's kind of the direction where I'd like to see us facilitate just kind of more of a, you know, more collaboration across the different pieces that are working here in the housing. Everybody seems to know one another, but just kind of more conceptually what everybody does and how that collaboration can kind of 
do things more effectively is I think the challenge and the niche where I see ourselves, uh, I see us as contributing. Yeah, I would, I would echo all those points in terms of um, coordination, collaboration, and, and providing good and timely data and information as well to, to all these groups that are, that are working so hard on the topic. You know, I think it goes back to the idea that, you know, we're Delaware and we're a small state. We're supposed to, you know, be able to get these things done. So it is a little bit easier, I think, in Delaware to make those connections in some ways. You know, so that's that's a good area to focus on, I think, moving forward. So sometimes we we at IPA, I think, have talked about, you know, opportunities to make the COVID lemons we've been given here into lemonade. And honestly, this podcast was one example of that. We probably wouldn't have pursued it as aggressively as we did if it didn't make sense to do during the pandemic. But on that note, uh, I guess I'll start with you this time, Julia. What what are some opportunities that you think Delaware could look to change or improve during this time to improve housing affordability overall moving forward? Yeah, so I think just kind of uh, going back to what we were all talking about with helping connect the dots and having a different perspective and, you know, sort of a research, but also a a hands-on approach to working with folks. I think, I know um, Steve's going to talk a little bit about this probably um, before we hop off, but um, the webinar that uh, we all put together, that was a a Biden school webinar a couple weeks ago. I thought that was also another excellent opportunity to sort of bring to light some of the uh, major issues, you know, particularly relating to affordability and housing security. And I think as we continue to, to move on, like we're right now, there's this very short term immediate response that, you know, the, the county, state and local governments are having to do to, to address, you know, here and now issues with the pandemic. But I certainly think that, you know, continuing to educate both citizens as well as local stakeholders, you know, whether that's advocates, state agency people, representatives, local leaders, planners about these various aspects of housing and uh, and the complexity of it, you know, will help with the longer term focus of of how we can really impact the overall health and well-being of our communities longer term and how and how housing really affects specific populations from a social equity perspective and also um, addressing specific vulnerabilities. Like I said, I I really have an interest in um, looking at opportunities and more affordable options for older adults. Um, You know, as we mentioned earlier, we have a significant demographic shift, particularly downstate. So, you know, are there opportunities to take some of the research that's that's certainly growing, um, looking at outcome-based evidence that links housing with overall health and well-being and, and our local local economies, excuse me, and then taking that and from a practical and applied perspective, because that's, you know, that's what we do too. We're researchers, but we're also practitioners in a way. We, we work with communities and local governments. And so we need to continue to educate them and help them identify specific strategies to promote how we can best provide options and build our, build our communities. And, and there's a lot to that for sure. So I'll I'll leave with that. That those are just my initial thoughts. But I'm I'm certainly looking forward to continuing to work in this space with you all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, I think I mean one of one of the things I'm kind of talking as a sociologist here is mm-hmm. you, you're kind of the ability of 
a pandemic like COVID really not only to touch on weak points in terms of, you know, infection in the body, but also to kind of really hit on our social weak points. And, you know, an example of that came out in the webinar, which I guess we'll talk about a bit more in a couple minutes, where one of the panelists said, you know, we look at the impact of COVID in terms of natural disaster metaphors, things like, you know, tidal waves or tsunamis or things like that, where in reality, these aren't natural disasters as much as they are man-made disasters in that there are these kind of weak points in the, you know, in our society and housing, housing and poverty is certainly one of them. And which then COVID comes along and puts additional strains and pressures on that and really highlights just how weak our housing infrastructure is, especially the way we house people who are at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. And so it's Force, you know, on I guess maybe a brighter side, it's forced us to look more specifically about what we've done. The you know whether we want to look at them or not, just kind of the the holes in that safety net become much more glaring, and we start talking about solutions and also about solutions on a much more broader scale than we usually do. And that's you know coming with homelessness that starts at looking at our ability to shelter people you know, give people a roof over their heads overnight when they have nowhere else to go. And so we've been forced to go, you know, look at shelter not being adequate. So, and in this time of the pandemic where everybody socially isolates and their main base is at home, well, for those people who don't have homes, at least having hotel facilities, motel facilities um, available to let people isolate, to let people quarantine. Then that goes on to the next question. Once that public health danger has kind of abated a bit, where do they go? And then it becomes more of a, a permanent housing issue and highlighting the lack of permanent housing and also highlighting the fact that there's a much bigger population that's housed much more precariously that's on the verge of losing that housing or becoming evicted. And with the unemployment that's come along with COVID, all of a sudden that becomes a much more immediate issue and the need to, you know, to address that, to do something about it. And it, and it highlights just how much more we lack affordable housing and other and basic income supports so that when people do have a crisis, it doesn't become all consuming. So in terms of making lemonade out of this, this has basically created a situation where we need to make more fundamental changes within a kind of a crisis framework. So in terms of housing and homelessness, we're starting to look at basic services in terms of expanding housing, in terms of not just providing emergency rental assistance, but in terms of providing long-term programs where People can have a safety net until they until they regain employment, until they can get back on their feet again. Um, to having more um, more rental units that are available on a more affordable cost, so that people can move there. It's not only providing temporary housing, but perhaps buying hotel and motel facilities, so that that becomes an ongoing res resource. Outreach for homeless populations, not only populations that are in danger of becoming homeless, but those who are kind of largely invisible and living out 
living outside, um, living in camps, all of a sudden are just more at risk for COVID and providing services that can make contact with those and hook people up into services. The need for that has become much more apparent, as has the resources to get more of that started to where you can get things started that you couldn't get during more ordinary times. And then the challenge becomes making those sustainable as the COVID assistance kind of rolls back. And the more kind of the, the more long-term structures come in, how can we have, how can we, once COVID subsides and, you know, that day will eventually come, how can we have a stronger safety net as part of that everyday system is the lemonade that I see is coming forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting thought there about how something like this exposes the cracks in the system. Mimi, what are are your thoughts on that in terms of what could be improved long-term moving forward as a result of this? Thanks, John. A couple of thoughts and a couple of things picking up on Steve's comments and One of the things that strikes me that would be helpful here is um, a senior level leadership on housing stability, to promote housing stability, to drive planning and processes related to that statewide, that that kind of a platform to work from where you're looking at the, where someone is looking at this, someone with the resources and connections and knowledge about how the state functions to really start pulling people together and making policies and plans and processes that can help support housing stability and expand housing supply going forward. Because as Steve said, if nothing else, and it's highlighted many things, this crisis has highlighted the need for an increase in affordable housing supply. Mm -hmm. So people do have adequate, safe, affordable housing, both to ride out this crisis Mm -hmm. and to continue as, as our economy starts to pick up again. So first level, for me, is that that senior level leadership to uh, help pull people together and develop the plans and processes to both help stabilize us now in this crisis time and also take the steps moving forward. The second is identification and coordination of these multiple funding sources uh, coming in from the federal level, existing here already at the state level, on both the private, public, and nonprofit sides. Uh, Pulling those together in a more integrated and holistic way, I think, is an opportunity that has presented itself and been highlighted in part because of some of the strategic collaboration work, the strategic response funding work that has has developed over the last three or four months. Uh, The third point I'd like to make is, this is highlighted for me, uh, uh, a need here to take strategic collaborative action to stabilize the existing affordable housing supply. And that's working with property owners and lenders and investors to try to figure out how to maintain and retain the housing that we do currently have as a, as affordable as affordable housing so that that portfolio remains at least as strong as it can for housing that is already available to those at the low and extremely low ends of the income range to keep them housed, to keep them out of homelessness as best we can. And so stepping back a little bit from some of those details, I feel a strong opportunity for the Biden School to help catalyze and support some of this work to help 
share communication around these issues, to support and perhaps help drive strategic collaboration around these issues, and to serve as a, a platform and a supporter for efforts to address housing, affordable housing, housing stabilization uh, in a broad scale in this state. That's great. I think you all touched on this a little bit, but my one of my thoughts on this is to, uh, I'd really like to see the state and, and uh, university focus more on housing as a, as a social determinant of health. You know, this is a public health crisis. And um, I think it, it's, it's hard to, to not, you know, sort of as Steve mentioned earlier, it's exposed the cracks on a lot of things. And one of those is, is uh, housing insecurity and vulnerability. And, you know, it, it touches on a lot of uh, different areas of public health as well. So I guess to wrap up, Steve, I wanted to ask you to talk briefly about the recent webinar that we put together and you, you kind of led um, on uh, COVID's impact on evictions in Delaware. It was a pretty successful event we had uh, close to two weeks ago now, and the recording is on the Biden School website. Uh, but wanted to hear you, your thoughts on that and, and some kind of takeaways and how you thought it all came together. Yeah, absolutely. Like Sean said, the recording of that is available and certainly encourage everybody to listen to it. Uh, we kind of saw this and this is a collaboration between the four of us and also between CCRS and IPA. And one of the things that I feel strongly about is kind of one of the services that we can provide is to give back the information. I mean, we've talked with a lot of people. We've been the recipients of a lot of generosity of people sharing information, sharing their time over the course of the last year or so. And so what one of the things we can do is to take that information together and to present that in terms of, you know, just the concern for the need for housing assistance that's come up as you know the as covid has uh, manifested itself in an economic context and first through unemployment and then through concern about housing this is this is an issue that's received a lot of nationwide coverage there's a lot of concern that we're on the brink of an unprecedented wave of evictions that the homeless population is going to balloon and other related housing concerns, mostly on a national issue, most on a national context, mostly not so much now as much as in the near future. And what we saw is basically, let's take that and look at it in from a Delaware perspective. What does that mean for Delaware? And more than the, you know, kind of putting, translating what's what's been said in a nationwide context and looking at it more specifically locally. So we kind of put together, just integrated a lot of information, a lot of perspectives that we've, um, that we've collected and also have just any kind of data we can get our hands on that is specific to Delaware, just put that together and present that to at least have some kind of an economic basis. So we're kind of giving our crystal ball uh, predictions, no matter how cloudy they may be, but also whenever possible, backing that up with Delaware specific data so that people who are, you know, just 
a lot of different stakeholders, um, services providers, government officials, um, both on the state, county, and local levels, um, landlords, other people just somehow involved with the housing can kind of get a picture of this and hopefully get just kind of clear expectations of what we're looking at here. Couple of the takeaways. Our presentation was that with evictions, evictions are a lot less likely to be this kind of tsunami wave that hits as kind of more of a a constant rising tide, that um, there are likely to be more evictions. But even though there was a moratorium in Delaware that has since, in Delaware, that has since been lifted, on eviction filings. Eviction filings have started again, but the court system's ability to handle that is still going to be very constrained so that the evictions are go- as they come in are going to be controlled to an extent by the capacity of the courts to handle them. So there's going to be kind of a de facto moratorium that's going to be continuing. Another kind of more concerning message that we found is that the number of homeless seem to be increasing. Um, Local data on demand for shelter and people who are looking for homeless services has gone up quite more than has been expected already. So where we're kind of expecting first evictions to increase and then homelessness to increase after that, there's some early signs that homelessness is kind of leapfrogged evictions and is becoming more of a problem for concern. These, again, these are pre- preliminary statistics, but these are statistics that are worth looking at. Looking at the extent of rental and foreclosure assistance needed for evictions and the numbers that we had, we've kind of used those to call for um, about $50 million or something along that magnitude as needed for rental assistance. And we're kind of gratified to see the state coming up a couple of days ago with announcing their program for rental assistance, rental and foreclosure assistance, and they're putting $40 million into it, which was very good news, not only in terms of the state having that kind of assistance, but in terms of having an assistance program, but also putting those kind of resources into it, which was frankly much greater than the level of resources we had expected the state to put to put in. So that should help. On the other hand, you know, we did that webinar about two weeks ago, and that was just before the federal supplement for the unemployment benefits expired, and that has not since been renewed. So how that's going to impact the whole housing market, you know, the general sense is that's going to make things more urgent, that's going to make that's going to increase the need by quite a bit. And now we kind of have a very different situation that we're looking at that we did two weeks ago. And so it's kind of instructive on how the situation can change very rapidly. And then to, we also had three panelists that put on their, their own kind of takes on this rental situation. Um, that included Anas Benadi, who is the director of the Delaware State Housing Authority, and has kind of talked about their response and more generally the state response. Anna Velas, who's in, who's on the faculty at UD, does a lot of work with homelessness, especially among youth, and who's also active with the Homes Campaign, which is a grassroots um, housing organization based out of Wilmington. So, kind of gave perspective, not only from what she's seeing, but from what the Homes campaign is working on. And then finally had a um, 
had a perspective from Michelle Taylor, who's the director of the United Way of Delaware. And they've been very active in terms of direct assistance and providing hotel and motel placements and kind of being in the thick of things there. So kind of giving her view from those trenches and is kind of given, you know, given a more rounded perspective to, again, what we can expect here in Delaware. So beyond that, encourage you to listen to it and also to contact us if you have any further questions or, you know, things to add to what was said in the webinar. Just wanted to, to mention a couple other things related to that. Touch on two other things. One, uh, I want to give a shout out to Marlena Gibson from State Housing Authority, who spent a great deal of time working on the preparation for this $40 million that was, was going to this program. Uh, she's the policy director of State Housing Authority, and she's one of the many public servants in public administration throughout Delaware that you probably don't hear anything about. but is uh, critical to kind of getting these things done. So I just wanted to give her some plaudits there. And next week, next Wednesday, Steve, uh, Marlena Gibson, and Karen Horton from the Delaware State Housing Authority are going to be presenting a local government training webinar along with myself um, that's going to be focused on what local governments can do to improve housing insecurity and housing affordability throughout the state. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, I think we'll probably be releasing this podcast just before that, but uh, wanted to note that and and uh, we may be making that recording available soon in the future as well. So uh, with that, uh, just wanted to wrap up and thank all three of you again. It's been, you know, it's it's been a really uh, great kind of experience uh, learning all so much more about uh, this topic in Delaware even even in these kind of difficult times we're in, you know, it's it's been great to, to work with the three of you and, and I look forward to continuing our work in the near future. So thanks to all three of you for, for being on today. Thanks, Sean. For more information on CCRS or to listen to the recording of our July 29th webinar on COVID's impact on evictions, please visit the Biden School website at bidenschool.udel.edu. To find out more about the DHAP Rental and Housing Assistance Program, please visit the Delaware State Housing Authority's webpage at destatehousing.com. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to First State Insights so that you'll never miss the podcast.